We're going to find bodies that won't decompose because they've been eating Twinkies and spraying themselves with Axe. What's up, everybody? This is Karima, a.k.a. The Blur Girl, and this is The Blur Girl Podcast. This episode is being brought to you by Universal FanCon. So for those of you who don't already know, Universal FanCon is happening in 2018 on April 27th. And if you haven't already, you definitely need to go to universalfancon.com and buy tickets or sign up to vend if you were an artist and you're looking to have a table or if you are a person who would like to have a panel now is the time to go fill out all the things so universalfancon.com don't don't climb up in my mentions and be like i didn't know why didn't you tell me how come i didn't know i've been telling people on twitter i've been telling people on instagram i've been telling people on snapchat go do it now this is going to be a huge 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 event you do not want to miss out on this um so please sign up get your tickets do all the things as soon as you possibly can so this interview coming up next is with dr rachel burks now i was really excited about this interview and some of you may have seen it on youtube this is the podcast version i have been following dr rachel burks who is an analytical chemist since i worked on some promos for the show outrageous acts of science on Science Channel. For those of you who don't already know, my day job is as a uh, commercial and promo editor. So sometimes I see footage for shows way before they hit the air. I was just so happy to see somebody who looked like me as a scientist. Yay. So I've been following her a, a bit. And then I actually got a chance to meet her last year at Dragon Con when I was hanging out with Jamie Broadnax of Black Girl Nerds. Um, we actually all had lunch together and I was supposed to go off to another couple of panels, which I promptly skipped because we were talking about all things geeky and in the comic book universe and science. So you can kind of say that the idea for this episode came from that conversation. And I really actually want to do a panel with her and other members of the Curly Haired Mafia. That's a group she belongs to on Twitter. And they also have their own website. And they're all black female scientists. And they all talk about science and pop culture. So I was really excited to do this interview. And I was so happy when she was able to do it. And if you're wearing headphones, I advise you to turn the volume down because there is going to be a lot of giggling and laughing and snorting and goofiness because because it was just like talking to my friend about science. That's how cool Dr. Burks is. Some of the things we talk about in this interview are like the poison that may have killed Joffrey in Game of Thrones. We also talk about zombie perfume. And we also talk a little bit about what the material that Hulk's pants might be made out of so that they can stretch and shrink on command. And then finally, I kind of go on a little bit of <laughs> what I call the Palladium Pop-Tart rant um, about the Palladium that Tony Stark was just randomly inserting in his chest Iron Man 2 and Dr. Burks talks me through actually how you would in real life create a new element so sit back and enjoy this really fun interview with Dr. Rubidium herself Dr. Rachel Burks so today I have my interview with Dr. Rachel Burks who is she's really important she's got a lot of letters there's like a lot of things so if you see her in the street you have to call her dr burks don't call her rachel don't call her ray ray she's not your friend she is a doctor okay <laughs> she is a doctor <laughs> right and then you can call me ray ray there you go <laughs> now when i first saw you i didn't meet you at first when i first saw you i was actually editing a promo for outrageous acts of science for the science channel 
And then cut to Dragon Con 2016. And I was hanging out with Jamie Broadnax of Black Girl Nerds. And she was like, oh, I'm going to meet Rachelle Burks. I'm like, what? (laughs) And so I stuck around and I met you and then skipped my next two panels so we could talk about science. (laughs) So I've been really um, hoping. It was so fun. It was fun. It was fun. And so I was hoping um, that I could catch up with you as well as other members of the Curly Hair Mafia um, to talk like science and geekdom. So I'm thank you so much for being able to do this um, interview with me. So, so that I don't mess this up, tell everybody, for the people who don't know, what exactly, like, what your degree is in. I know it's chemistry, but tell us what branch of chemistry and then all of the things. So I have a bachelor's degree in chemistry, a master's in forensic science, and a PhD in chemistry, but I'm an analytical chemist. So that means that I don't make chemicals, I find them. So I like to say that we're the detectives of chemistry. So you literally know how to get rid of the body. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, without a trace. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, this is all contingent on, you know... Like like many things, one must have the proper tools. This is true. <laughs> and access and a strong stomach. I just yes. finished experiments on this. Really? You have to have a strong <laughs> wow. <laughs> so what works isn't for everybody. <laughs> no. You know, sometimes the bench chemistry it's not for everybody. <laughs> okay, so now what do you do? Are you still teaching or because I know you're still on TV? Do you Yes. Okay, so where are you teaching and like if somebody wanted to enroll in a class? (laughs) So I am an assistant professor of chemistry at St. Edward University in Austin, Texas. It's a small liberal arts, principally undergraduate institution. Uh, It's a beautiful campus, overlooks downtown. Okay. Um, And so, yes, so I am, uh, my day job is, is chemistry professor. My night job is Misty Night. You, your website, and, and for those of you who don't know, it's 37. It's over on Scientopia.org, but it's 37.scientopia.org. Now, tell me this connection with 37 and Dr. Wait, Rubidium. I got to look it up. Yeah. Is it nope, Yttrium right. or Yttrium? So my one handle before I got my PhD was Radium Yttrium. So got the it. element... And elemental symbols would spell Ray, which has been my nickname right. for a while. Um, but then when I got my PhD, the, the thing about chemists is that we have this thing with the periodic table. Yeah, I and know. You guys are like addicted to it. it. <laughs> we just love it. We'll put it on ties, it's on pants, like we'll make a dress out of it. We love it. Shower curtains. We just love it. And if you can find your name, you know, your initials as an element or spell something with an element, we just think that that's the best thing ever. Well, for me, my initials are RB and that's, that's rubidium. Rubidium. Okay. Now I get it. Okay. Whose atomic number is 37. So and that's, that's where that. the 37 comes from. Awesome. See, now I, I, I don't think there's anything on the periodic table that's KH, but I'm going to figure it out. <laughs> Oh, maybe I'll put two things together now. But you do have can put two things together. So that's the key thing is can you spell it and not, not see sometimes people don't get lucky and they right. get this extra letter in there and then they get messed up. 
But you actually have you have potassium and hydrogen. That's very good. Well, the other thing that I find fascinating about your website is that you also talk about like chemistry and pop culture. So very famously, or I think it's famous. If you haven't seen this, you've got to go check it out. You talked about how Joffrey, the element or the chemical that was used to kill Joffrey on Game of Thrones, and that is not a spoiler because if you haven't seen that, that was what like season three or something if you haven't seen that (laughs) i actually thought it was a version of nightshade but it i don't think it is no you know because um you know there were some real good plant options and and when you read the description in the books and and the symptoms you know it's got to be something that affects muscle because of the way that it's described Mm -hmm. um and so there's a different um, plant options and they're all horrible. Uh, right, right. they're all terrible. Affect smooth muscle and some affect striated muscle. Mm-hmm. And the, the specific one that I thought about was strychnine because it's awful, King yeah. Joffrey's death. And I'm not saying he didn't deserve it because a little snot did, but the way it's described is excruciatingly painful. It's a, you know, in the kingdoms, it's a very scary poison. Like mm-hmm. of all the poisons, that's like that one you don't want to get. Right. And, you know, with strychnine, the, you know, it, it causes the muscles, specific muscles to contract so violently they can sometimes rip straight from the bone. Oh, my God. Yeah, really painful. And the initial contractions, too, start in the face and neck. And that's um, how Joffrey went. Okay. And that's very sounds like a straight, like, you know, so the how it's described is, you know, literally feeling like you're being strangled. And it gives you this weird facial expression. Some might call it a smile, but a grimace. Yeah. Um, and really, it's the kind of thing, too, that if you want someone to suffer... Right. This is and especially in this kind of time period, there's yeah. there's no antidote. There's no antidote now. I mean, it's it's kind of like you try to treat it the best you can. But if you get an acute poisoning dose, you're going to suffer and then you're and, going to die and then you're going to die. Right. Like, <laughs> there's no coming uh, back from this. And so even if it's short, it's incredibly painful. painful. OK. So I really think like some of it just really fits in. And I think also kind of fits in a bit, you know, Martin's never kind of revealed what his inspiration is, mm-hmm. but I just feel like if you wanted him to suffer, and I think that's a character that a lot of people were like, suffer. Right, right, right. <laughs> and it sounds like it could have grown in that type of climate. Yeah, I think the thing too is that, you know, there's so many different kingdoms. You had a certain, that's you know, true. kind of alchemist class that would have derived this um and brought it over brought it over and there was a very protracted kind of way that it was um from a natural product that it was it wasn't made it was just extracted from this tree and the Mm -hmm. strychnine tree there's strychnine um all over the tree but it's really in kind of these seed pods that it's really condensed um but there was a case not that long ago of somebody that just boiled enough leaves to to hurt themselves it was um, oh a suicide god. case oh my god it's clearly didn't know that much about yeah. it because like, you don't want to go like that after what you just described well, you know, they did i mean people set themselves on fire but that's i think true. part of it too there's no coming back from this one that's true and if you give yourself the right dose right wrong dosage um but also the way he describes how, how it's made the tricky thing with this is that it, it like all alkaloid plant 
based poisons, they're very bitter. Right. Um, and so I think that's why when he describes the treatment of, of kind of how it's prepared and what it's usually served in, uh, wine, mm-hmm. right? And it, it's always uh, kind of seems like it's implied it's a red wine. Yeah, because that's that dry. Guys, yeah, yeah. And if it was a spiced holiday wine or something for a special occasion, that would disguise it even more. And so I think that it kind of fits. But then there was some really good, I think that's a fun thing too, chemists, you know, we, there was a couple other good suggestions. Maybe it was nicotine, which I think, you know, know, nicotine is incredibly toxic. But I I didn't know you could, I I mean, we know it can kill you slowly over a long period of time, but I, I didn't realize that enough of it in a small dose. Well, the amounts that people usually have, you know, with smoking is, is, you know, that's kind of a chronic kind Mm -hmm. of a deal. You know, Mm -hmm. we're not usually exposed to this acute, um, poisoning, but oh yeah, it'll, it'll do the trick. We just, that's just not a a level, right? Even with, with, what cracks me up is especially not that long ago, a lot of poison and drugs you could just like walk to your local pharmacy and be like hey bob give me some cocaine i'll take some arsenic and by the way i need some strychnine right (laughs) right right there's some stuff like i've i've traveled i mean my mother's not from this country but i know that when you travel sometimes you can go to pharmacies in other countries and it's like what (laughs) wait wait a minute i can buy this like Tylenol? <laughs> exactly. Or, you know, really, you know, you just, if, if you know what you're looking for, you know, you can you can find some very interesting things that, at your local home store, That's true. shall we say. That's true. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, it doesn't have to be. And sometimes I just did this experiment for my camera shoot all about body disposal. And I oh remember thinking like. And I was joking. Oh, my God. <laughs> you no, know, I was and joke. One like, does no. not joke about these important scientific questions. <laughs> One does not joke about. One does not joke about bodily dis- disposing of a body. What? <laughs> uh, so I did this experiment, and all the ingredients I got, you know, in the uh, in the home store, and I, I did that on purpose. Sure, as a chemist, I have access to all kinds of things, mm-hmm. but they know that I have access to these things. Like right. I didn't use something like only you could have gotten that. Um, so you know, you go to the home store. And uh, I went to the home store and bought a few things and, you know, did this experiment. And I used pork. There you go. Pork rib. There you go. And a pork neck bone for science. There you go. So, yeah. So we do these experiments and hopefully, hopefully you'll see the video. I, I have video. Awesome. <laughs> and, and now that I've scared everyone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, let's go to some life-saving techniques because you also had um, what I call the zombie apocalypse perfection fume how they're attracted to smell but not going to the extremes that michonne did with having to like walk around with two carcasses <laughs> yeah the walking i mean you know that's that's what tells me too that you know i know i'm a chemist and i'm a process person being analytical we're almost a bit engineering i saw that and i was like oh no bro <laughs> you're like no you're doing it wrong <laughs> It's, you know, you know, and even from the first episode where they do it, you know, uh, episode three in season one called Guts, I'm like, this is just, this is not sustainable. It's not, you can't scale it up. Right. Right. Like, this is a biohazard. There's, what, what is the reliability of the supply here? Like, like all these, like, you know, and I just realized, I'm like, we can do better. We can do better. Well, I mean, did you and see, literally. did you see World War Z? Yes. Okay. So like yeah. that. 
that thing that he took that changed his chemistry, that's more of what you're talking about, right? I mean, he ingested right. it. He didn't spray it, but he ingested it. But Right. And you know, what, you know what I love about that scene? And I showed the scene from um, to talk about how scientists work, mm -hmm. like literally the process of science. Because when they're on that rooftop in Walking Dead, um, episode three of season one, they really do. They look at a problem. They say, you know, from all sides, they listen to everyone's opinion. They crowdsource a solution and they test the hypothesis. Now, granted, it's a high stakes test. Yeah. Um, but but the process of really going step by step, how do we know? What are they doing? What's the data we have? They look at all the data they have. They form a hypothesis and then they test it. And, you know, chemical, chemical camouflage is not something that humans do themselves like we get that from animals yeah right like they use it all the time mm -hmm. to disguise each other both visually and um yeah. chemically chemically and all all effectually i guess all the whole <laughs> thing they're fooling people it's it's one big you know flim flam mm -hmm. out there trying to just either not be seen or to sneak into places you shouldn't be kind of like me into neiman marcus you are hilarious <laughs> you belong in neiman marcus stop it <laughs> that kind of trick is is not to be seen like you know hunters use it all the time but really it strips all human scent mm -hmm. you know uh, and you can buy you know you don't want to use fancy soaps no axe body spray if you're an ocean to deer you know they're going to smell that right? <laughs> like, and so we'll uh, literally hear that all you deer hunters yes we'll all smell you actually i don't think most people should be wearing axe body spray but that's I just agree. me <laughs> Me, but I have a I have a feeling it'll be the only thing left after the apocalypse. Yeah, axe and roaches. Twinkies. <laughs> oh gosh. Rosa. Uh, <laughs> We're gonna find bodies that won't decompose because they've been they've been eating Twinkies and spraying themselves with axe. I've uh, seen the future. <laughs> <laughs> Those are gonna be the zombies. Yes. <laughs> they can't decompose. <laughs> This is why a good friend of mine is like, you know what? I know you'll take me out because you know I can't cut it. And this is exactly why. This is why you have to make decisions now and get that friend that will do you a solid. There you go. And hesitate. Like Naomi, like Naomi Harris. I will not hesitate. Because <laughs> I love you, girl. <laughs> not oh god okay so i have a couple of other questions and i now i don't i don't know this doesn't sound like your branch of chemistry but i've had i'm asking every chemist i know what in the world are they making hulk's pants out of i know that's more fabrication I but i can't handle the fact that they're just like levi's 501s and then they're like <laughs> Magic bean. No, um, magic beans. There you now, go. Now, this is an interesting question because there are a lot of superheroes that have suits that don't make any sense, right? Yeah. I mean, you've mm. got the hoax pants. So you're talking like, sure, they stretch. What is that, Lycra? No, like that's beyond. Like they contract. Like there's yeah. something going. They rip and they're back. Then they rip and they're back. Um, but then they're sentient. <laughs> I mean, it's like, is it a stripper pant? Like. <laughs> Is it NBA pants? You know, they just... Uh, yeah. Right, they're fly away. Exactly. 
You know, like what's going on there? But also you've got, you know, when you think about anybody, when you think about the Flash, that suit doesn't make any sense either. No, I was going to bring the up the Flash. Nope. You know, the fact that the tremendous force, I mean, it, the friction caused by this. T- but what I think is there's there's a lot of options. There's always literally space materials. NASA yeah. is always trying to handle, I mean, when you try to explore the surface of Mars or some of their re-entry temperature issues, they're always trying to fluctuate these things and control those things. They, they are doing work for special types of fire suits that can withstand up to 500 degrees Fahrenheit, which like boggles my mind. Wow. So they have layers of liquid cooling and then above that kind of a high-tech fabric. And part of it too is making... <clears throat> thin enough materials that are moldable, not just for, I mean, of course, we think about aircraft, we right. think about really high tech stuff, but when we get into personal right. flight, I don't want to, I don't want to put on a jacket made out of fuselage. No, <laughs> the problem with like a traditional Iron Man suit, if it was literally made out of iron, he couldn't he move, couldn't carry it, right? I've been like, telling everybody this, like he would not be able to move. And he's he... got to be an alloy, right? Exactly. It's got to be. Of course, you don't say I'm an, I'm an iron titanium iridium alloy that doesn't have the flow. As Iron Man, right, right. That's awesome. <laughs> you know there's there's a lot of options but i think what's exciting is that you know science fiction always takes i think a little bit of fact and stretches it and in this case there's been a lot of work especially in the last decade in what's called self-healing materials um and so it is sentient (laughs) yeah and really what it's done is you've you've kind of built in a first aid kit into these materials and in a way where you, there's one material that they had a really nice article in Chemistry Rolled On, where they made this polymer. So that's just you know, sh- you know, stretchy things mm-hmm. that we're used to. These individual molecules linked together. And what they did is, between the polymers, they packed in again this this backup, this first aid kit, where if it somehow got ripped, the monomer, mm-hmm. more monomer. And what polymerized it would be there. So when it ripped, they'd be exposed. They'd repolymerize and plug up and the hole. Then the chemical reaction would begin. Interesting. So there are other self-healing polymers where if you break it, it causes some type of chemical reaction on the surface. But then if you put it back together, it will then re-react and, and literally fuse back together. Now, of course, there's a limit to how strong those things would be. But again, the basis of fact of having material that can actually fix itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and really what it means is you've, you've given it an internal, what I call internal first aid kit to do yeah. that. Yeah. And so, you know, what I'm imagining is it, instead of thinking about Hulk's pants as being like it, they, they stretch, they, whatever, they, whatever, what if it really is a self-healing polymer and what you're looking at is when it's ripped, because that's really actually more true, is that self-healing polymers don't usually work that fast. They need to be brought back into contact or given right. some time in order to actually have the chemistry work and refuse. So what if it's actually some type of self-healing polymer textile, and it's not <clears throat> far-fetched. A lot of our nylon is a polymer, mm-hmm. you know, so it's not too far-fetched. And really, then by the time he goes down to a certain size it actually can then redo its magic right and really it's and that's the and that's the chemical reaction maybe when it gets to when it's not 
when the stretching has reached a particular limit, like it learns Hulk's limit, it then will shrink whenever he does. You know, if they if he has these pants, he is a scientist, a medical doctor in, in mm-hmm. some versions. Mm-hmm. If what he has done is picked a high-tech fabric, which that's a very big growth industry. Not only that, but self-healing polymers in the medical community for bandages, for synthetic skin, for skin grafts. There is a lot of applications. And so what if it's some, I mean, again, we have to take this basic stuff and really sci-fi it up. Mm -hmm. But I think that there's something there. And the other one that brings in other suits would be spider silk. There's, you know, when they make these companies, this isn't that little worker spider slaving Mm -hmm. away for $14 an hour. Like, this is all synthetic now. I'm mad that you said that they're slaving. I'm mad that we're paying the spiders. I'm mad that we're paying the spiders $14 an hour. Don't worry. There's no spiders involved. It's all, you know, they're engineering synthetic silk. They're also adding things in like carbon fiber Mm -hmm. um, and nanotubes. And then there's a certain alignment to maximize heat distribution and increase different tensile strengths. Um, And so, you know, the fun thing to me, too, is whenever you hear this research, to me and to a lot of scientists and to science writers, they're like, so Spider-Man suit. You're saying we can make Spider-Man soon. <laughs> That's what I would be saying if I was in the room. Yeah, whenever they add those, there was a cool work a couple years ago. There's, you know, about cloaking devices where it's really, a tr- it's literally a trick of the light. Mm-hmm. You know? And of course, everybody was like, Harry Potter. <laughs> you know? That's awesome. Harry Potter. <laughs> You know, and, and 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, it would have been like Star Trek. That's true. That's true. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And, na- yeah. and now we're all, we're, and, well, we could be saying Star Trek again. <laughs> I'm very excited. You know, to me, like growing up on Next Generation and watching the original yeah. with my dad is I literally have a tricorder, right? I'm like, actually, you mentioned something that I did want to ask you about Tony Stark. Okay, so you remember in the second movie, where I mean okay we're just gonna put the, 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 the suit aside for a second and the fact that he had a small reactor in his chest which a we're not biologists but I still think that's dangerous but the palladium when he realized that the palladium which I'm mad that he had palladiums the size of pop tarts and he could just put them in and out that that bothered me but, but besides the fact that we can make palladium pop tarts <laughs> when he realized it was gonna kill him and then we, he, he said, okay, I'm going to just make a new element. Yeah, now, we can do that. Now the, <laughs> but my question is the way he made it, like, is that literally, like, when you're trying to make an element, is that, like, are you literally running it that fast through, yes. like, a tube? That is the particle accelerator. That's literally what a particle, I mean, he, that's a homemade one, but that's basically yeah. what a particle. Well, that's the thing is, is, now, is it that easy? Is it on that scale? No. No. But that is literally how you do it. But at CERN. <laughs> no, that's what, but that's what I was going to tell you. So, ask you. So, the, the particle accelerator at CERN is not going to fit on two floors of a building. It's like a campus, no. right? It's running like. Yeah, and I think that then Lawrence Livermore, uh, in which there's an element named after, um, that would be another location. It's a smaller one. But I think 
the idea is, you know, the funny thing is our instruments get smaller and smaller all the time. When I started as an undergraduate, the type of analytical instruments this, I would use. This little use, thing is holding like yeah. gigs. And remember when gigs right. used to be doorstops? You know, well, just remember, look at, you know, like a movie like Hidden Figures. You're looking at yes. a computer that you're like, um, sorry, what is this, Matt? Like this whole room is what, you know, and for me, and, just. And that whole span, room, that whole room was five gigs. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Or even five megs. <laughs> Maybe. You know, nobody have anything complicated to do, like send nope. someone to space. Nope. <laughs> you know, and when I think about just in my time of undergraduate to grad school, the size of what's called the mass spectrometer mm-hmm. went crazy small that actually you could conceivably with you know, backup generator, make it portable. That it's wow. not only the fact that you came up with a new type of ionization source, but you were able to do it in the size of what would now be about this big, right? So the size of, I'd say a tower computer mm-hmm. and maybe two of those. That, you know, when, I, when I'm looking at mass specs in my grad school, it took, again, took up an entire room to have that kind of power. So yes, it is based on something. Can we do it at that size now? No, but in a hundred years, in a thousand years, it might not even be that long. It might not even be. I mean, the, the the jump that we make advancements when you think about, you know, the off-quoted thing that you know we have now in our phones more computing power than all of NASA in the late well, yeah, 60s. And, and the fact that we are we're watching TV on our phones, and our and the most popular form of transportation is to get into a stranger's car. <laughs> I mean, no, think about it. This is like the very thing that we were raised to absolutely Never not do. do. Never get into a stranger's car. Now there's people. Car. Now people do it all the time. And I remember and when it came you, out. You're just like, sorry, what? Exactly. You know, do what? But what I love though is too is that your, the ways in which we communicate now, and and for my grandmother. You know, this is a person who grew up where they thought it was really exciting that when the first time they got a phone. Look, my mo- my mother, one of my brothers thought it would be cool to get her like a touch. It's not quite an iPhone, but it's like a touchscreen phone. She figured out text messaging. Oh my God. Oh my God. Now she text messages me guilty texts. You don't love me anymore, do you? Best day of my life was when my dad got an iPhone and figured out emojis. Parents on emojis are like, that's like a whole nother episode. <laughs> I guess sometimes he just goes, and just clicks. It just says, oh. But I spend like so much time looking at it going, this mm. means something. Exactly. And all he's doing is like, <laughs> he's just like, he's key smashing. Yeah. He's just. <laughs> He doesn't even know. He's trying to use his big giant dad thumb. And he's getting, like 22 emojis and his daughter on the other end is like, but what does it mean? <laughs> this is what now, happens. This is what happens with science. In, a, um, in, a, in another year, he'll learn. He can just say smiley emoji. Right. It won't be as fun. Oh my God. It'll be a mess. <laughs> it'll be a mess when they figure that out. Cause they'll be like, okay, call Call my daughter and tell her, or get my daughter's car and get it to drive her to me. I'm dead. I'm dead. I'm absolutely dead when that happens. Because I won't be, I'll be trying to go to the grocery store and all of a sudden I'm at my mother's house. Why am I here? Like, Mom, how many times have I told you? <laughs> Don't hack the car. <laughs> Obviously, Black Panther's a big thing. So I have to ask the question. 
Could vibranium actually exist? See, they kind of sell it as if it's some type of a metal. They do. Out of this earth. Yeah. Um, and we've got, the fun thing is, is that, you know, most of the things on the periodic table are metals. But so vibranium, you know, is it is it a pure metal? How could you make, no. You know, because the, the thing we know about metals is it has a lot of metallic properties. Mm-hmm. It's malleable. Um, it's got a certain of, of hardness and strength to it. But some of the other properties about, like, turning vibrational, like some of the other things that you're like, okay, so that's the sci-fi part. This is the science part, and that's the sci-fi part, um, is that... You know, it just, it breaks down under some of the other metallic type properties. But one of the, because this is the same material in the cap shield. Right. And so one of the other things it, it, it does is it supposedly, because part of the problem, if you made, say, the Captain Shield or Black Panther's Claws out of, like, steel, which is great, first of all, you know, heavy. Yeah. If you made a solid steel. But, I mean, these are superheroes. Okay. Um, but also... The heat that the the heat that would be generated, some of they they hit some of these things, or the force that would come yeah. back on them when it's being transferred. Um, so that could be a problem because again, what they're interacting with is not like normal human force of even like two steel cars running into each other. You got like Thor's hammer, which is some mystical nonsense, um, and hitting it this thing with this. You know, then you got lightning, and then you got like weirdness, and so the, it's it's like. It, it won't hold up. But what's interesting about this particular fictional one is that they clearly gave us some thought because they have this vibrational energy or kinetic energy, as some people would say kinetic, some would say vibrational, mm-hmm. that gets transferred into light energy. And so if you see certain parts of the movies yeah. where like Thor's ha- hits the cap shield, you'll see this blue light. Yes, yes. And that is so to instead of tra- having the heat, having energy be, you know, captured as heat, which would be a problem. We'd have a real problem if you generated that much heat energy because the shield would potentially melt or just be so hot that the captain would be like, I'm out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's not good. And then imagine if that was claws. That, right. that also doesn't work. Um, but what they've done is by making it that the, the energy, because energy cannot, you know, what we tell students is energy cannot be created or destroyed, but it can't be transferred. And what they've done is they've changed it so that that blue light means that it's going from one form of energy, a vibrational and or kinetic, it depends on which part you're reading, to being light energy. So the light, as soon as it hits it, this material is transferring it into light energy, which is not science fiction. That could be true. That actually could happen. So, yes. And so that is not there. Again, that's what I love about sci-fi is there's limits, right? But there's bits of it. They clearly put in. Because why blue? Because the other thing about blue light is that of all the visible light in that region, mm-hmm. that's towards the high energy. Okay. And so why didn't they choose red or purple or, you know, something on the low? Because... You know, and and maybe we'll never know some of these answers because when these things were created or who knows, but they chose blue because when you think about it, sometimes blue light is often, you know, high energy light. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so it's interesting to me that they're trying to communicate that a lot of energy has has is happening in this hit. This Mm -hmm. has been a 
forceful interaction. And they're saying that by having it be blue. But they also want you to see it because there are higher orders of electromagnetic energy, but they're not visible to the eye. So they've picked the maximum, near the maximum that the human eye would be able to see. Right. um, And still register as, holy crap. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Exactly. So I think that, you know, closest we could probably get is it wouldn't be a pure metal. It would be an alloy or maybe even something like a a ceramic metal. You know, if you want something really strong and durable and heat resistant, that to me is going to be a a mixed material. Well, could it be mixed with could it be mixed with something like volcanic that could take high amounts of pressure and heat? Well, the rock, though, is not, I mean, that would be more of a geology question, but rock, as far as malleability, as far as being able to shape it, I mean, Mm -hmm. because these are also shaped into very, you know, specific layers, Mm -hmm. and that is going to be a problem for rock, because rock doesn't have that kind of crystal structure in order to allow, or, you know, kind of structure to allow that particular, not that it it cannot be shaped, we've we've clearly seen, you know, with time, but that's kind of almost an erosion mm-hmm. um and of course if you if you actually crushed it and then and then pressed it under you know like a hydraulic press but even then the material itself is not kind of made for that but right. when you think about ceramics which this is another mm-hmm. you know really high quality top knives that are very very sharp yeah are ceramic, uh, are ceramic. um and then ceramic especially in the lab Aren't there some want, aren't there some surgical instruments that are ceramic? absolutely, and it does a great job. Um, there are different materials too that help with heat. Um, that are, sometimes you don't want things to conduct heat at all. You want right. them to literally be heat sinks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know that could be another thing. Is to me a lot of the in all of the superhero universes, whenever you have a material that sounds like wow, that sounds too good to be true, that's because it's not an element. It's it is got to be material science because like a hybrid okay a, a hybrid and and the thing is this is nothing new you know when we think about steel steel is an alloy yeah um and so a lot of our best properties are just it just takes a scotch of something else to kind of give us this new thing and so and and but we're there though especially with textile science is really exciting it's not just fashion which is cool because you want to look badass in your suit um but but if but if the suit if but if the suit has the healing polymers that's even more exciting that's even more exciting exciting and if you can still make it red also nice but here's the thing um, you can get you that that uh that license or that patent will be a higher payoff for like from nasa or like um elon musk than it will be from like neiman marcus and i so. think it's a mistake that you have iron man who runs this industry right yeah. and who then turns out to make all of this stuff and and part of it is the massive research and development funds that must be going on here like the idea that the altruism comes because you're basically an arms dealer as we all you know yeah. you have this idea but who else would be able to afford the level of research dollars that would because for every successful endeavor yeah every one there's like 10 failures right 
99 fail. I don't know. Oh, but 99. Anyway, wow. At, at least because I mean, and that's the thing is they're not failures in a way that's bad. It's like, how else do you get to the thing that works without doing all of this research? And it can't just work once. It has to be, you know, oh, I think we got it to work that one time. So go yeah. ahead and jump out of that airplane. And like, <laughs> no, but you're right. I actually heard Elon Musk say that, you know, in a, um, in a, it wasn't a TED talk, but it was in a talk once, and they were, he was explaining how he got from like PayPal to SpaceX, and he was saying how his first two years he had budgeted to fail, and he said it's just some, the tune of something like three or four trillion dollars that he had to have that much money to yes. fail, and I was like, what? But that yeah, imagine, yeah, that's, I mean, that's science. If you're not budgeting that in, I was just reading up, there was a great article, speaking of fun spider silk science, there's a great review, very written for the general audience in chemistry world called, called Spinning Out Spider Science. Wow. And it talks about these companies that all, there's there's three, they identify three major ones. Um, and they all started about 2007, 2008, and they all budgeted for it to be 10 years before they had real massive mass production to be commercialized. Do you know how much, I mean, when you think about, you know, not only just to be successful, but how much money you would have had to raise and continue to raise to be basically non-profit mm -hmm. earning. Yeah. <laughs> which, is in, and, which, which means that there's things that 10, 10 years ago that, we saw on Star Trek that somebody started working on that are yes. going to come out in like another five years. We just don't see it, but that's the fun thing is, you know, we're starting to see that science of, and it, and it sounds silly, but it's everything from, you know, cosmetics to um, tennis shoes. And like I always tell my students, what you almost pray for as a scientist, especially one that's on a budget, is that you want the application, mm -hmm. the thing you're using to reach mass appeal because the unit price will start to drop and right. then you can get it yourself, right? And so any of the application, like if it's, if this synthetic spider silk is like the top new material for runners in Nike, then they're going to start mass producing it to like the whole price we'll of drop. this other yeah. industry drives. And so that's kind of the, the weird and wonderful loop around is sometimes like the cosmetic industry, all that research that's gone on now and like the microbiome and we know how important it is for human health. Of course, the cosmetics industries are like, we got to get in on this. Exactly. Right? Like, so I think it's, it's kind of a fun, and that's what I think too about the superhero thing. That's, that's why another reason why certain universes like with the Tony Stark thing, that's completely believable because that's kind of how you would be able to make all these advances now that, you know, he's basically everybody's superhero godfather. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's kind of weird. Yeah. He's <laughs> but, funding I mean, everybody. Yeah. Now. Where's his art? Like, where's his director of R and D? Because, this guy needs to be. Can we just get him off the company floor for one minute? <laughs> That's what I think Pepper is constantly trying to do. Now I have not, I have another two other quick questions for you. Now I don't know how quick they are. Let me let me not say that. Let me not lie. Um, I've, I've, you mentioned. I thought you mentioned nanites earlier, um, or nano nanotechnology nanotubes. Nanotubes. Okay. Now have you also and I, now. Explain nanotubes to me a little bit and the whole concept, and this is a little, another little sci-fi thing, like of nanites and the whole concept. That's not just healing fabric. That would be like uh, healing like tissue. Now I know that's biology. 
I'm just right. uh, when I'm, but I'm the concept of the nanotechnology of making something a, like a little tiny machine that can think on its own independently or in a swarm. How like like if I could basically program my Roomba to to program other Roombas and then clean not just my house but several houses at once. Is this possible? <laughs> Well, that's, you know, that's computer programming is amazing. And again, our computers are getting smaller and smaller. Now, but is that what a nanite is? A nanite is a computer, correct? Well, if you'd wanted to do the things that you're describing, well, yeah. you got to have something that's programmable. To reprogram my um, Roomba, yes. But to, to rebuild, yeah. but to rebuild like an arm, that's both machine well, and biology. You'd need a you'd need a damn good immune system. I think that's I think that's, that's really the true. key thing to like any of the super soldiers that's is true. because the other thing you want to think about is we have a very good the the average human being barring any um, major life occurrences or major illnesses has a really good immune system and we're good in a lot of ways. We reject things that we call foreign and we're going to annihilate them. Yeah. Right. That works great. Um, And of course, we have through science made that even better with some super awesome vaccines that help us do that even more and keep everything in check. And we have natural healing processes. You know, even if there's a bit of scarring, the fact that clotting works to plug up holes and stop massive blood loss. Mm -hmm. And then we've got white blood cells that come in and do their thing. And we've got antibodies and they're doing their thing. We've got an inflammation response. Like there's this whole, you know, multi-level thing going on. What you would need is you would need all of that to be like dialed to like 11 million, right? So that, and that's, and what, that's what Captain America has then. He is like, he's not he's, a super soldier. He's got a super immune system. He's got a super immune system. Because the other thing you want to think about is, or at least I think about is, you know, we, a human body, for a lot of things doesn't like foreign. I mean, our whole immune system is like foreign. And the thing is, you want it to recognize because what happens is when it doesn't recognize things and tag them as foreign is when is when things go off the rails. Yeah, when things go very Um, bad. And so, you know, we know this works when we try to do transplants, which are incredibly difficult from a mechanistic standpoint, but from also a biological, biochemical standpoint, is that that's why you have to be on immunosuppressants for a lot of different types of transplants. Because if it recognizes the new kidney or the new liver as an enemy. It will start eating it from the inside out and doing a full organ. So think about that's part of the challenge, too, with science. Of course, we do hip implants. We do knee implants. So how are we able to do that? Well, we use inert material. You're literally a stealth, Mm -hmm. like a stealth freaking thing. And you're just you're going under the radar and not picking something that triggers. This is a huge area of research, especially in the military, where you have folks that lose limbs or Mm -hmm. like a part of the skull or you lose a part of the jaw or, again, an elbow. And you've got to worry about still having mobility and being able to do this thing um, and have it work really well. And then we think about all the connective tissue, all the ligaments, mm-hmm. all of the, the caps. And so all of that, you have to design it out of non-rejectable materials. That's a massive, another material science, a massive level that you have to pick something that does the job, but also can do the extra job of not being seen. Yeah, but it won't kill you or in <laughs> process because your body is trying to reject it. 
So even if, you know, my thing with that is even if you built these little nanobots, then, okay, so you've done enough research to know that you had to have built all of them to not trigger their immune response or this person's on a massive level of immunosuppressants, which would mean they'd have to be in a clean room because then yeah. if they got the common cold or MRSA, they are toast. They're right? dead, you know? yeah, because they have so, nothing to fight it. But I think again, the 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 accelerated thing um, of kind of the sci-fi thing is we're always looking for new surgical and chemical tools, and there's been work in you know there's like you know precision laser scalpels now that can make cuts that you don't even you know they're not even cuts on the external they're internal yeah. or maybe they are external but they're so small you're doing this there's, level of precision yeah. surgery now that's like mind-boggling, but then there's also ideas of instead of stitches or you know certain you're using now chemicals to actually fuse areas together things heal faster you know there's all of these advances that are going on in medicine i think that you have a combination of okay if we if we were able to advance all of this research right at warp speed nine yeah. <laughs> this work that's going on and then into and, and that kind of gets back to with kind of the, some of the spider stuff and mm-hmm. the self-selling polymers is this is also the work that's been done. These are things that are not rigid. They're not triggering the human um, immune, immune response or yeah. mammalian response. So that's going to help quite a bit because secondary infections, you know, I always that's lose my mind. No, you're right. That thing yeah <laughs> that, no that's the thing i mean i my father who's no longer with us it, it's but our biggest issue with him when he had a series of strokes was not the strokes it was all of the other infections and things like that that started to sit in because he could not move he yeah, you know what I mean? he, so it's you don't realize how many things all that, these other things so if you think about it, if you had a combination of of stealth materials and these um increased you know, fusion, instead of having some of these kind of, we're still using the same type of scalpels, right? Mm-hmm, that we've been mm-hmm. using for a long time, the same type of sutures, but but we're, we're even those are rapidly changing. And also just, you know, you had an increased immune that for magically you yeah. had, you know, twice as many macrophages mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know, okay, so that's the sci-fi part. So if you gave everybody a boost, but then also you had these new materials with low infection and then, and then if you just, actually listen to nurses who are like use this checklist and mm-hmm. wash your freaking hands <laughs> protocols that are in place that are now just bringing down the secondary ones and the thing is like you were saying with your father is and and like with my father is is that if you could heal faster and get up yes. and start doing therapy then you in turn heal faster. Like yeah. it's this this whole, you know, and then your mood improves and we know that mood, um, there's been good work on that mm-hmm. um, and that helps everything. So I really think it's it's never gonna be a one and done, like, oh, all we need are nanobots. No, we yeah. would still need that. Increased human immune, immune response. Immune response is the big and, thing, yeah. You know, the last question I have for you is I read somewhere that you worked in forensics. So I yes. would like to know from the, first of all, I'm sure shows like CSI must have made you nuts. How much of it, like they do stuff on the show in like 10 minutes and I'm sure you were like, right. <laughs> and, and my favorite though, yeah, is I love it because, you know, the one thing I always tell, you know, people always ask me, you know, what's, what's the biggest difference? I'm like, you never saw anyone doing paperwork. Nope. There was never and a report written. A good 50%. <laughs> never. 
<laughs> they're never writing anything down, number one, which no. I'm always like, interesting. Uh, <laughs> even on even on bones even on bones no one's no, even like, like <laughs> just run around are you eating this like and that's the thing is there are you know if you're a medical examiner there there might be a recording but mm-hmm. you're still literally you're still taking notes like that's what cracks me up though too is and as a scientist like documentation documentate like everything has to be written down or it didn't happen and it has to be written down extemporaneously so at the time it occurs right so paperwork and not only that but you're writing reports for other people who are not scientists so you spend a lot of your time you know sure doing the thing and then you spend most of the time documenting the thing and then communicating the thing that you just documented (laughs) so um and what i didn't spend any time doing was interviewing suspects or running down some damn dark alley with a gun with a gun with some damn good looking shoes i never happened that never happened that never happened no well what is what no, is what is the no. what is the craziest like uh, case you were ever on though? Like, how did this happen? You know, I will I will say it's three words. Oh, Craig's Craigslist crime. Whoa! You know, for a while there, there was like, could you just not with Craigslist? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, and it's funny for I've never used it for that very reason because I remember hearing all the craziness. And this is, but this is before this is even before Uber when we were not getting into strangers' cars. I would not let a stranger in my house to buy a piece of furniture. <laughs> you would, you would hear like this, you know, because for the most part, again, we're very we come in to do a technical job or mm-hmm. we get case evidence. We're not we don't have as much background. We're not in the scene. We're not detectives, yeah. so we don't know. But when you would maybe go to a scene or you would hear enough about you're like, this is the most bizarre. Because, you know, <laughs> everything becomes routine, even yeah. working in a crime lab. Like a yeah. breaking and entering is a being Like, you're yeah. not going to see. But then there's something that come across your desk and you're like, I don't, this is like. That happened. You're like. Shetty. <laughs> I don't know what crime was committed with an avocado and a machete. And there's like a burnt out Tesla downstairs. Like, what? <laughs> so you then though you're like, wow, that's I don't know. But then you flip a page, you're like Craigslist. <laughs> that's insane. I've never used a Craigslist. I'm so I haven't used it, and now you've like cemented that for me. Thank you, you know, so when, much for. What is for that? Don't go on no, I don't go on Craigslist. You're great. <laughs> so listen, um, you are going to be back at Dragon Con this year. Will you be doing the How to Get Away with Murder panel? Not sure yet. Okay, I'm, I'm, maybe because it was popular and people are people want to know how to kill people. Apparently, always looking for ideas. <laughs> I heard you got some interesting questions in there. <laughs> we got some. I've got. I got pictures though. I'm gonna keep my eye. That's what I'm. Oh, I mean, there, did anybody ever ask you a question in that panel where you were like, "I really can't answer that." Like, I'm not going to answer that. Just something feels wrong here. <laughs> <laughs> I have. You know, it's it's funny because it's it's more of it's always ones too about how to make something. Like, can you really make mess that way? Yes, and I'll let you Google it. So that when they seize your computer and clear your, your history, it will not be on uh, me, right? Ouch! <laughs> you know? um, but we hope to do, I would love to do um, a superhero science panel. Um, I, I'm going to try and make it happen. Like, uh, Luke, Luke Cage science um, panel. I think, again, these areas, like we, we could have spent another few hours talking yeah. about all the wackiness. And we haven't even gotten to Wonder Woman 
And I think that that's, there's going to be tons of great science in that. So I think it's there's just tons to do. I no, there is. And it, even if they don't, we're going to prove they should give us a panel. I'm going to have you come back on here. We're going to do this again. And then we're going to send these videos to people until they give us a panel. Yes. <laughs> because there should totally be a science fiction panel. We should totally, yes, Wonder Woman. I have a whole theory about Luke Cage. But... <laughs> Because of the way they cooked him on the outside, but then everything happens on the inside. That doesn't work for me. It had to be internal. I'm sorry. I'm not a scientist, but that's just, that doesn't make sense. It's not. Yeah, I, I tell <laughs> you, I have this panel idea for them and we pitched it. And hopefully, because Black Girl Nerds was going to moderate. Yes. Um, uh, and so there, there's so much in that show. And in the, and then of course, then in the defenders, like, you know, there's, there's a lot of associated stuff, but you've got the, there's so many good things as a chemist, you know, I'm like, ah. but then I have a friend who's an immunologist who was like, I got many questions. <laughs> Somebody hey, I got questions. Wait, but your buddy that's a part of the curly hair mafia, she's a biologist. I can't remember her yep. name right now. What's her yep. name again? Danielle. Danielle. She's a biologist. Yeah. I want her and you. <laughs> yes. So. And our friend Lolly is a biologist too. Awesome. And like really knows about, um, you know, because Danielle's a mammologist, so she really knows mammalian oh, behavior, okay. which is great. And I think in this, again, you need that mammologist perspective. But also, you know, we've got a lot of bacteria that's on us and in us. And so my friend Lolly, who's also in Curly Hair Mafia, she knows a lot about that because, you know, again, we get back to the microbiome kind of idea. We're not alone. No. <laughs> in this thing. Like, so if something affected him, it would affect the entire. So he has some freaking hella unique microbiome. Is that the sore? Is that playing some major role? I mean, well, I've always thought, honestly, that it was a three-step process. I thought he was injected with something at some point, and then the second part of the process was the soup, because I just don't think the soup did it alone. But that's just me, because people think I'm crazy when I say this. <laughs> no, I think, but I think that there's so much, you know, I think, and I think that there's little clues that, that that's what I love about talking to fans, mm -hmm. is that, just like with scientists, if we all did the same experiment, no matter how, you know, a titration, like mm -hmm. standard, we would all do it slightly differently, but within spec, we'd all observe something differently and we'd come together and we'd have a lot of the same stuff, but then we'd have these really interesting things that would make, you know, I would go, I never even thought about that, mm -hmm. or that's a really good question. And I really love that about fandom science because you get so many different perspectives and people picking up, I mean, I've read fan wikis that I'm like, this is next level analysis. <laughs> like, like, this, this is, is a dissertation. Soldier spy stuff. Right? Wow. Like, chart, right? Like, <laughs> and but when you think about it, you're like, I would never. But this is harnessing, right? This is what why supergroups exist, where scientists work mm -hmm. in teams, because you're going to see everybody is going to have this vision, and it's going to be at the edges where, you know, you didn't go that is where the awesomeness is gonna occur. And so that's why I love these types of things because it's the fringe that people bring to everything that you're like, Poof. Exactly. 
Now you the tell me a little bit um, before I let you go. I want people to know about other things that you're working on. So I know we have obviously Curly Hair Mafia. That's the crew on Twitter. Find them. Their commentary on um, pop culture and, and and media and stuff from a scientific perspective. You guys are absolutely hilarious. Um, <laughs> the we talked about Dragon Con. What is DIY? Are you still working on that? Yes. So I'm I'm the creator and manager. This is year five. Okay. And it is the do-it-yourself science zone for Geek Girl Con. And that is an experimentation space where you can come in and do about a dozen to 15 different experiments. Do them yourself. A scientist will be there to help you. Um, and you can do all kinds of stuff. We, you know, DNA extraction from strawberries. Um, wow. We, did an experiment where you know you could learn about statistics to survive a zombie apocalypse. Uh, <laughs> you know, very lighthearted. Uh, you know, last time we had rockets. You know, that you can make with just water and, and Alka Seltzer mm-hmm. and slime. Mm-hmm. I love making it. Kids love making it because slime. Five creature. Oh yeah, slime <laughs> is the best. We had tarantulas. Ooh. Learn a little bit about insects and different types of bugs what's the difference between a millipede and a centipede um and so you know we have all kinds of experiments and it's it's all people can just go in and they get little explorer tracker badges and there's prizes and it's just a really fun space for people of all ages to do science so i do that that will be geek girl con this year is september 30th october 1st will be open both days Mm -hmm. um and it's got some great programming too. And then I also started writing uh, Trace Analysis, which is a forensic science monthly column for Chemistry World. So you can find that online. Um, I've done three columns all about different murders. Wow. <laughs> um, actually, no, the first column was, I, I don't want to spoil it, but okay, it was don't tell actually, me. <laughs> uh, it was a mass poisoning. Wow. Um, and it was, it happened uh, to the, what's called the California, or what was called the Conservation Corps. Um, Roosevelt was a job-saving device uh, during the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. And at one of their camps, uh, there was a mass poisoning of 43 wow. people. Wow. And so we... We talk about, I talk about, you know, the, the science of it, but also the history and the forensic science. It's, it's basically, it's a sciencey true crime column. Awesome. Uh, and so if people like true crime or friends, so if you like, you know, kind of a serial or, you know, anything like that, this is just, you know, it takes the forensic science bit and, and gives it kind of a centerpiece. Yeah. Um, so if you like that, check that out. It would be great. My next one will be on my experiment. Hmm, with the pork. <laughs> Those are my, my poor attempt at evil fingers. <laughs> evil fingers, octopus, whatever works. But yeah. <laughs> Jazz, Jazz hands. Uh, <laughs> Pop classy <food>. Okay. <laughs> And so we can always find you at, because uh, where, where do you hang out most? Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter? Twitter. Twitter. Okay. Yeah. And on there, you are, your Twitter handle? Dr. Rubidium. Dr. Rubidium. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate hanging out with you. This is so much fun. I'm going to put all of the information and like the links to a lot of the stuff we were talking about in the oh, notes awesome. to the show so that people can link to your, your stuff and find your stuff. And thank you again for doing this. Thank you, it was awesome. Thank you so much. 
wasn't that awesome guys thank you guys so much please remember to comment and subscribe and let me know what you think of this and if you'd like to hear more podcasts like this see you on the interwebs